0: Alright, well welcome guys again to Beacon, um, thank you so much for being here. We're going to jump into a time of teaching, um, and so this is my hour lecture for you guys. No, it won't be an hour, I, I don't think. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, uh, I'll talk about what we're going to be uh, speaking about tonight. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for uh, just the, the privilege of being able to fellowship together, uh, to look around and call each other's. Brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you that we have the freedom to open up your word and to learn from you. Um, thank you that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts so that we might understand. And uh, God, we just pray for humility um, and attentive hearts uh, as we learn about uh, just a topic um, that is very precious to you, the local church. Um, help us to love the church like Christ does. Um whether that's here or uh, the rest of our lives, God, make us um, people, believers that are just in love with your church, though imperfect, um, because Christ loves the church. And so do that work in our hearts now through the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, yeah, like I just prayed about, um, we're, we've been kind of going through different topical series or top, uh, topical Topics <laughs> um, the past couple weeks, and my hope at the very beginning of that was really to start our school year out with some of um, the distinctives that I hope will become true of our ministry as Beacon, um, the college ministry here at Lighthouse. And uh, these are some of the things on my heart for you guys, and on the hearts of the staff for you, um, and all, even the elders and, and pastors here at Lighthouse. Um, and so we've been talking about what it means to be a Christ-centered community. That's how we started out, that uh, even though we have so many or so many things in common with each other, right, common interests, common season of life, uh, common majors, whatever it might be, uh, the, the most significant thing we have in common is Christ. And so we want to be a Christ-centered community. And then we talked about just the importance of growing up into spiritual maturity, that that is what... God desires for all of us and expects for all of us. And so uh, for each of you, hopefully you were able to think through uh, just what are specific ways that you can be growing, right, and pursuing spiritual maturity. Um, And the last thing I wanted to talk about is just loving the local church. Um, And I'm sure this is a topic that many of you have heard about um, and maybe you've thought about uh, and something that's really, I think, unique for you guys in this season of life uh, maybe this is a new church for you, and you grew up the, the like, first 18 years of your life going to a home church, um, and so maybe you've never even thought about the topic of church and why it's important. Uh, and so that's why I want to talk about it, and uh, like I prayed, the goal is not just you know that you would be guilted into going to church more, or you would love Lighthouse itself more, but um, really my hope for you is bigger than that, and it's lifelong that you would be healthy church members uh, for all of life. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's my heart for you guys. Anyways, let's, let's jump in. Um, one of the, the interesting and well-known features on Facebook is this piece of information that is known as your relationship status. Yeah. Um, before there was such thing as Instagram official, there was your relationship status on Facebook, okay? And I don't know if anyone actually uses it or because it's, it's like super official. Right? People use it for like engagement um, or for marriage. But beyond that, like, you actually have to link your profile with the other person. Um, and so it exists. But I don't know if anyone actually uses it. Uh, but some of the options are single, right, in a relationship, engaged, um, and married. And there's also the, the infamous it's complicated option. Right? Have you guys ever seen that before? For some reason that's an option, and the only reason that should ever be an option is, one, it's a joke, um, or two, it should never be an option for you. Well, speaking of relationship status, if you had to choose a relationship status for you and the church, what would it be? Uh, I know that was a cheap illustration, but I feel like it's at least a little relevant um, because I'm guessing that between all of you in this room, right, there are different quote-unquote relationship status is between you and the church, right? All of you are in different places, um, and there might be a number of different opinions about the church. For example, some of you might be uh, super committed, like you've grown up your entire life attending church, and I don't need to stand up here and convince you to show up, right? I don't need to tell you, hey, you should come to church on Sundays, because you're already doing that. Um, and even more than that, maybe you've served in different capacities, uh, maybe even held certain leadership positions. And so some of you are in that boat. You're committed. But others of you might be complacent. Right? You might not stop going to church altogether because you know you're supposed to be here. Um, but generally, you are present, but you are unengaged. Right? You're just here. You're fine with just coming here and then dipping out on a Sunday pretty early. Others of you might be checking out church for the first time. And so far, the people are... Generally nice, but some things are weird, right? You don't get, like, why we do certain things here. Uh, Maybe you don't totally understand the connection between what is your personal relationship with Jesus and showing up here with everyone else on a Sunday. Like, what's the big deal about church besides it being some weekly kind of ritual? And then finally, others of you might be a little disgruntled with the church. You might have some ill feelings towards the church. You don't have a great opinion of her. Um, It seems that all of the things that you would expect not to be happening at church and happening elsewhere are the things that are happening within the walls of the church. Things like gossip or cliques or slander or abusive authority. Like all of that, you would expect to see somewhere else, but somehow it ends up happening here. So like I said, many of you might be at different places with where you stand in your relationship with the church. And some of that might be because of superficial reasons Um, Others, maybe because of significant reasons, like you've been mistreated by the church in the past. And so I think that's why this message is a little difficult. Because for some of you, it seems like kind of the obligatory, like annual go to church because AACF is not a church message. right? For others of you, maybe you've actually never thought about why church is important and why it's necessary. And so my goal for tonight is to show you why we as believers need to and are called to love the church. Okay, why we are called to love the church. In our day more and more people are saying that all I need is a personal relationship with Jesus. Right? Like that's the most important thing. And people are distancing themselves from this so-called institution of the church. But I think that 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 can't happen. That's not consistent with scripture because if you look in what uh, God's word says, it says that if you really have a relationship with Jesus, then you have a relationship with his bride, right? and his bride is the church. If God's word says that Christ is the head of the body, then you can't decapitate him from his body, right? which God's word says is the church. And so there's no separating a love for Christ and a love for his church, his bride. And so I just have three headings for us um, kind of of to guide our time. Um, The first one is this, universal and local. Okay, universal and local. Um, Let's start by just defining what we mean. Okay, so what is the church? How would you define that? What would you say to answer that question? And I think most of us know that the church is not a building. It's not just an event. It's not uh, a thing that we do or even just an institution, right? We might functionally treat it like one of those things, but I'm guessing that most of you know that the church isn't just like this warehouse building, right? It's not, the church is not 501 Van Ness Avenue. The church is not like a hobby or an activity that we do. Um, when you look in the Bible, it gives us a number of different metaphors to describe the church uh, for us. For example, uh, this is on your handouts, the church is a body, right? It's a body made up of many members. It also describes the church as the bride of Christ, um, the family of God. It describes the church as a building, as God's house, and the temple of God. And all these different ways that the Bible describes what the church is for us. But I think most fundamentally, and this goes back to uh, our definition of what the church is, okay, most fundamentally, the church in Scripture refers to a people, okay, a people. And more specifically, the church is made up of all those who have been saved through faith in Christ. All those who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So in other words, every believer is part of the church. First um, 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, it says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so in that verse, Paul is saying that if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you have been baptized, or you've, you've gained entrance, you've been baptized into one body, and that body is the church. And your entrance is that is baptism by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, through faith in Christ. So if you've been saved, then you are part of the church. And we call this, um, this is known as the Universal Church, okay? capital C Church. The universal or the invisible church. Um, It's called invisible because we we can't see people's faith, right? So um, this is the universal or invisible church. But the concept of church that you are probably thinking of and the one that we're mostly going to focus on for this message is what we call the local church. Okay, you see, Scripture talks about the church in in both ways. One, it's the universal church. It's comprised of everyone, everyone who has a saving, invisible faith in Jesus Christ. But also it describes the church as a local body, right? It's expressed in visible local bodies of believers. Um, When you read through Scripture in places like the book of Acts or in the epistles to the churches, right, you see the church as more specifically manifested as a gathering of people, as an assembly. Um, the, the, The word for church is ecclesia, and that just means assembly a gathering of believers in a particular city or in a particular house. Okay, you guys following along so far? So the church is the people of God. And if that's the case, then what makes a gathering, right, if the church is gathering, what makes a gathering of a few Christian friends at a coffee shop different than what we do here every Sunday morning for corporate worship? Right, if the church is defined by the people gathered together, then... What makes something a church, like getting together with some friends, and what makes uh, something else not a church? Um, There's a movement a while back when people were starting to to make a push to break away from this institutionalized church. And they were saying things like, it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. Okay, it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that statement. It sounds true, it sounds good. And it, it is true. That, in the sense that we need to be the church, right? If, if what you mean by that is we need to live as God's called people, right? If we, if we need to live as believers, if that's what they mean, then that's true, right? We need to be the capital C church. But what you need to realize is that Scripture doesn't pit this church as organism versus church as organization, It doesn't see those two things as opposing things. Rather, it actually shows us that one indispensable way that we can be the church, the capital C Church, is as the church, right? as the local church. In fact, the New Testament seems to show us that the local church is God's intended expression of his universal church at large. Um, Think about the New Testament, right? Out of the, the 27 books in the New Testament, Nine of them are specifically addressed to local churches by name. Three books, we know, that, uh, know them as the pastoral epistles. They are written as instructions for life and leadership within the local church. The book of Acts is the story of the spread of the gospel through what? The local church. In other words, the local church is the way that Scripture gives us for how to practically carry out the things that God has called the church universal to do. The church is a breathing, growing, maturing, living thing. right? The church is made of people. But also, God has prescri- uh, prescribed a certain order, certain doctrinal standards, defined rituals. He's given us a blueprint for how he has intended things to be. Um, you think about some of the, the certain practices and the priorities that he has called the church to do, right? Um, we are called to, for the worship of God, um, the preaching of the word, discipleship, observing the ordinances, things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, regularly gathering together. And Those are some of the priorities and the practices that God has called his church to do. Um, on top of some of these functions, on top of some of these ministries of the church, he's given a certain structure, Right, a certain order to things. For example, Scripture talks about how God has appointed certain qualified leaders. And actually, you can read what those qualifications are. Right? Um, these leaders are the elders and the deacons. You can read about their qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. Um, he, he has appointed these elders to serve and to shepherd the church. He has given them the job of keeping watch over your souls, Um, because it says that they're actually going to have to give an account for the people that they're shepherding, right, that they're sheep. Um, You think about the process of church discipline um, in Matthew 18, and that is just an extension of the church's authority, right? It's a component of discipleship. Uh, It's a means of accountability. It's a way of protecting the purity and the unity of the church. And so here's the big idea. The church is important to God, Right? He has so much to say about it, so many instructions about it, and so it should be important to us. And we know it's important to him because he's given us a blueprint for what it should look like in our lives. So the local church is no small thing to God. Um, and, and maybe that's hard to believe uh, for you because you look around and the local church is not all that impressive. Right there are other organizations. There are other social causes, other means that seem to be so much more esteemed, um, so much more worthy of being uh, kind of put on a pedestal. But in Ephesians three ten, it says that it's actually through the church that God makes known His manifold wisdom to the world. Right, like the church is how God puts His wisdom on display for all to see. Um, there's a a verse in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus, he promises to build his church, and he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize he doesn't say that about anything else or any other institution? And so there's a special significance. There's an authority that Jesus gives to the church. All right, I know many of you um, are involved with a parachurch ministry, right? Many of you are part of a ACF, or maybe you're part of another on-campus ministry. Um, and I was as well when I was in college. I was part of AACF. Um, And I'm really thankful for, for those ministries. I'm really thankful for my time specifically um, in WACF because I grew a lot and I think it was really instrumental in uh, even kind of guiding me towards full-time ministry. I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Um, but they're they're called parachurch ministries because uh, they are intended to come alongside. That's what para means, right? To come alongside the local church. And there's a lot of things that a parachurch ministry can do that maybe the local church can't do, right? They, uh, for one, it's like super convenient, right? You meet on campus. You just have to walk to large group. Um, there's like it's ministering to a specific demographic, college students. Uh, there's just a lot of things that they can do that a local church, it's not as easy for us to do. But as you probably hear often, the parachurch cannot replace the local church. And um, just even practically speaking, right, there's a lot of limitations. Uh, yeah, the local church has some limitations that the parachurch church can do, but it goes the other way around too. right? For example, your campus ministry is for your time in college. But the local church, that's for life. Right? It's be, far beyond your time in college. In your campus ministry, you're surrounded by people who are probably in the same age range as you. Um, in the local church, you are surrounded by probably a wider range of people. Right? And there is multi-generational discipleship that can take place, which the Bible talks about in Titus 2, 1 Timothy 5. And so what I want to say to that is, yeah, like, get involved in your campus ministries. Be a part of the local church because they are God's grace in your life. That God realize God has not given or intended these organizations to have the same authority, to have the same prominence as the place of the local church in the lives of believers. And so, why do we love the church? All right, just a couple reasons from this first point. One, we love the church because church is family. All right, church is family. Um, you may have heard the phrase that blood is thicker than water. Right? And if you know what that phrase means, it just means that uh, it's talking about loyalties, it's talking about relationships within the family, right? and how some of those bonds are some of the strongest bonds that we can know. Um, and that's true of the church. Right? Except the blood that unites us as family is not uh, like blood because we're brothers and sisters, it's the blood of Christ. Right? That's what unites us. We love the church because the church is family, and so family means that we are mutually Belonging to each other, we are mutually committed to one another. Um, Acts two forty two, uh, it says, this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right. So there's this under there's this understanding of devotion to the things of God, to the things of church, but also to one another, and that should be true of us as well. So we love the church because church is family, right? We are called as God's people. Um, also, we love the church because we are after the glory of God. Right? If we are believers and we really care about God's glory, if God has told us, I'm going to demonstrate, make known my wisdom and my glory through the church, then we better love the church if we love God's glory. And right? He's chosen the church as his way of accomplishing his mission and purposes in the world. Okay, so that's the first point, just kind of defining what we mean, right? Local, are universal and local. Um, number two imperfect and being perfected. Imperfect and being perfected. Now, I'm sure I don't have to convince you that as glorious as the church is, as central as it is to God's plan and his mission for the world, that it has a lot of shortcomings, right? There's a lot of ways in which we fall short, and we can can see that throughout history, right? With Uh, just some of the mistakes that the church has made, some of the the ways that they have responded poorly to certain things in the news or in culture. Um, But maybe for you, it's not even just like in the news. Maybe for you, it's even more personal. Uh, Like you've been let down by a church leader uh, or mentor, or maybe you've been burned by how some people have responded when you needed help or when you sought advice for something. And like I said at the beginning, some of you might be disgruntled with the church because of how it's fallen short. And honestly, we shouldn't be surprised. Right? Like why, why should we be surprised that the church is imperfect? It's made up of sinners. And that includes the leaders too. Right? Hopefully, um, the leaders are godly. Hopefully, they're qualified according to Scripture, but they're still flawed. And even beyond that, like you think of some of the structures, some of the programs of the church, like they're flawed as well, right? They're imperfect. There is no perfect church. And if there was, then honestly, you better not go there because it's not going to be perfect anymore. The only perfect thing about church is God himself. And when we see the imperfections of the church, we can react in a number of ways, right? We can, we can either grow critical, we can grow cynical or jaded, uh, we can start to distance ourselves from the church, or we can use the imperfections of the church as an opportunity to remember our own imperfections, right? Our own sin, our own ways in which we fall short. We can look at the imperfections of the church, and we can use it as an opportunity to look forward to where Christ is leading us, right? what Christ is doing with his bride. And Ephesians 5, this is a key passage in understanding the church. It tells us what that destination is. Um, Paul, he gives instructions to husbands and wives in that passage. Why don't you guys turn there, actually? I want us to open our Bibles. I know this is topical, but it feels weird not being in the text. Turn to Ephesians 5. In that chapter, Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives for how they ought to relate to one another. And what he says in there, he's talking about marriage, he says that your marriage and your respective roles in marriage should actually reflect Christ's love for his bride, which is the church. Okay, so let me read, starting in verse 25. He says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her Okay, so, so what does Paul say that Christ did for his bride? It says, right, he, he loved her, he gave himself up for her. And what's the reason that he did that? Well, Paul says, so that he might sanctify her, right, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, you see that? The church, though imperfect right now, though imperfect today, is going somewhere. Right? We're headed somewhere. Christ is making her into a bride, it says, that is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Right? He's doing that that she might be holy and without blemish. That is the destination that, that Jesus is bringing us to. And he, he, we know that he's doing that in our lives, right, individually, but he's doing that in the life of the church as well. And so again, going back to that question, why do we love the church? Well, I think from the second point, we, we love the church because Jesus loves the church. And Jesus loves her. And he's more focused on giving of himself to her, right? That's, all that, that, that's what that passage is talking about, giving of himself to her, more focused on that than what he can gain. Right? Jesus is not embarrassed of her. He wants to show her off. His love for the church is so intense that the closest human analogy that Paul has to use is the analogy of marriage, the most intimate human relationship that we can think of. And so as disciples of Jesus, right, as followers of Christ, then that needs to be our attitude as well. And I I think this um, particular point is helpful in fighting against this kind of consumer mindset that is so easy to fall into, I think especially as college students, this consumer attitude. Uh, There are just so many resources, so much Christian stuff that is available to us today, right? Whether it's via the internet or just by, like, driving to another church, right? Like, you want good worship music or why don't I just go here instead of going here? Um, if you want to listen to a really good sermon, you can just go online. You can probably find a better preacher than you will find at church, and you can just listen to a podcast. Um, or if you want really good worship music, like I said, you can just go on Spotify, or you can just go to the church, which has that really good worship band, right? That, that has, like, the fog machine and the lights and all of that stuff. If you, if you really want that, you can find that somewhere, Even if you want community, right, you can go online, you can be digitally connected to tons of other people, or you can find a place that has nicer people than we do here, right? Like, there is going to be a place that's nicer than Lighthouse. In other words, if you're just looking for the best, if you're just looking for the highest quality option, the most gifted preacher, the most welcoming community, the most skillful worship band, and the list can go on and on, all kinds of things that we look for, there's always going to be a better option. And I'm not saying that, like, these things uh, are not important. I, like, you should give time and thought into some of these things because they are important. They matter. But I think the, mo- the more important question is, what are you expecting? Like, what are your expectations? Um, and, and what are you looking for? Let me just give you some key things to, looking f- to, to look for in a church. Okay, so this is on your handout. One, will I be regularly fed by God's word? That is one of the main responsibilities of the church. Will I be fed? Does this church preach the word? Will I be fed by showing up here on Sundays? Number two, will this church prioritize the care of my soul? The church is not here to entertain me, to make me feel good, to make sure I leave every week encouraged or just happy or whatever. Will this prioritize the care of my soul? Does this church really care about where I am with God? Third, is this somewhere I can experience meaningful fellowship and accountability? Right? Can I uh, be held accountable by other people here? Can I really experience the love of Christ with the people here? And then fourth, is this somewhere I can serve God's people? Right? Not, is this somewhere I can be served? Is this somewhere I can serve God's people and use my gifts for its benefit? And that list is short because I think like, we should really just be looking for these bare essentials. Right? If a church checks all of those boxes, then I think we can reach the point where we ask the question, are you willing to die to some of your other preferences? Not because like you just necessarily have to, but are you willing to die in order to commit to and love the church? Are you looking for a place where you can receive and feel good and like learn a lot, or are you more importantly looking for a place where you can, where you can love the church like Christ does? Or you can bless the people who are there. Where you can encourage them and help them to pursue Christ more. Are you following the example of Christ? Are you looking to give of yourself rather than to gain? Are you loving the church like Christ does? Our last point is this: needy and needed. Okay, needy and needed. Um, I know that we've used this phrase often here at Lighthouse and. Uh, we've used it in a number of different ways, right? We've, we've talked about it in the, in the context of our relationships with each other, right? our interpersonal relationships, that we are both uh, needy or need other people, but we're also needed in the lives of each other. Um, and I think that's true when it comes to our place in the church. Okay, we are both needy and needed. And you've probably heard before that there should be no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, right? That you were not meant to be an island in the Christian life. You can't do this by yourself. And, and the reason uh, for that isn't just because it's contrary to God's design. It's not just that you know, we're unable to fulfill the one another commands in Scripture without others. Those are true. But I think one of, the, one of the most significant reasons that we shouldn't be alone is because it's actually spiritually dangerous for us to be without the community and the people of God. All right? It's actually spiritually dangerous for us to be without accountability and to the protection of the local church, right? Leaders overseeing you and knowing your life and keeping you accountable. Um, there's a couple passages in Hebrews that, that speaks to this. Uh, first one is Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, I want you to notice some of the words there, right? First, uh, the author says, every day, right? Do this every day. And then second, he, he talks about the deceitfulness of sin. See, when we're in isolation, we miss out on exhortation that we need from others. And how much do we need it? We need it every single day, right? We miss out on that when we're isolated uh, we, we miss out on the safeguard of others to guard us from the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, the other passage is Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. This is one of the classic passages when it comes to just the priority of gathering together. Um, it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, a couple things I want to point out from that verse. That one, we have to make a priority of regularly meeting with with one another. Right? We've got to make a priority of getting together with each other. Number two, that when we do, right, when we are together, what's our goal? It says to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. All right? it's, it's not just enough just to get together, but what are we doing when we when we get together? It says, are you thinking about how you can Push the other person, others, towards love and good works. Are you, are you thinking about how you can make each other better? And again, notice some of the words there, right? Uh, the author says, not neglecting, right? It happens by way of neglect, subtle. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Right, How do you build a habit? You do it over and over again without thinking. See, this kind of spiritual danger happens subtly. It happens a little bit at a time, and that's why we need the church. We need others in our lives to take the specks and the logs out of our eyes so that we can see clearly. We need others in our lives to encourage us when we're discouraged. We need God-appointed, qualified leaders who will protect us, who will preach the word to us, who will shepherd us and keep us accountable. Um, If you think about it, that's why there is such thing as church discipline. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with church discipline, but uh, we might think of church discipline as this, like, scary, like, in case of emergency thing that we hope never happens, right? But realize the goal of discipline is not to excommunicate a sinner from church. It's not to, like, kick someone out. It's to restore a sinner to repentance. That's the goal of church discipline, And sin is so dangerous that sometimes church discipline is what it takes. So let me put it simply. If you are a believer, then church should be a non-negotiable part of your life. Okay, a non-negotiable part of your life. And I understand that sometimes things come up, right, like a final that's scheduled uh, for a Sunday or maybe you have an event for your organization or whatever it might be. But I think to casually just dismiss attendance at church is to disobey God's command to meet together regularly. I think it's actually to disobey God, it is to subject your soul to spiritual danger. And I think what we need to realize is it doesn't necessarily just get easier after college. Um, here at Lighthouse. I don't know if you've you've realized just from hearing the sermons on Sundays, but one of the big questions that a lot of families at our church actually face is uh, what to do about their kids' sports games on Sundays. A lot of families just have kids involved in sports, and sometimes the games fall on Sundays. And I I think with that, each case is different, right? But I I think what we can learn from that is that making making church a priority is something that you're going to need to continue to be intentional about. Right? Not just like these years of your life, but the rest of your life, into the future. And, and not just that, but like, it's not just something you have to think about for yourself, but for your family as well. Right? Like, how are you going to shepherd your family, your kids, if God gives you a family in the future? Now, I do want to acknowledge that there are certain unique challenges right? being here at a large church, right? being here at a growing church like Lighthouse, that being held accountable by your leaders sounds great, right maybe like that's yeah we agree with that but when you think about that actually happening uh, happening here you're like is that even like practically feasible you know is that actually going to happen like are the pastors really going to know what's happening in my life and i think let me just say that this is one of the challenges for the leadership as a church continues to grow right just to to keep up with you guys to know what's happening in your life even to know your name um, and i think that's part of the reason why Fellowship groups like Beacon or Praxis or Youth Group exist. Um, and even within those fellowship groups, that's why small groups exist, right? So people can actually know you and know what's happening in your life. But what can you do, right? That's, that's a reality of this church, of being at Lighthouse specifically. But what's something that you can do? Well, here's one step you can take. Are you putting yourself in a position where you are showing up and where you are sharing your life with others? so that you can be held accountable? Are you showing up, and are you sharing your life with others, and putting yourself in a position where you can be held accountable? And so we are needy, right? That's the first uh, sub-point of this. We're needy because we're not meant to live our Christian lives apart from the community of the local church. Um, But the second part is we are also needed. Okay, we are needed. Um, In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses this famous metaphor of the church, and the metaphor is one body made up of many parts. And, and what Paul says is if each member is a different part of the body, then one part of the body can't turn to another part of the body and say, hey, I don't need you. Or like, you're not important. I don't, we don't actually need you as part of the body. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What Paul is trying to say is that you are called to be a functioning, contributing part of the body. And when you have one part of the body that is missing, right, the body is less of a body, right? It's missing one part of it. Um, There's another helpful passage from Paul, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It teaches us about what our place in the church is. Uh, He says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, And so in that passage, Paul is talking about the job of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, right? These are some of the teaching positions within the church. Um, And he says that their job, right, is to equip the saints Okay, that, that is their, their responsibility, to equip the saints. But keep reading, right, what is the job of the saints? Right? What is the job of everyone else? Well, Paul says it's to do the work of ministry. And to do the work of ministry. So who does the ministry? We all do ministry. Right? That's our job. I, I think sometimes we can think of like just the pastors, the worship leaders, uh, as like, the religious experts, the professionals, whose job it is to just, like, dispense goods, religious goods and services to us, right? Their job is just to, do, to minister to us. We're ministered to. And we're just the people, right? We're just expecting to be fed. And that's true. We are fed by them. But the passage teaches us that we are fed and we are equipped for what purpose? So that we might minister to others. All right? So we might do ministry. And so as ministers, as a needed part of the body, we should be asking the question, what can I give rather than what can I gain? Now, how will this church meet my needs? But right? Whose needs can I meet today? Right? When I show up here on a Friday night, on a Sunday morning, whose needs can I meet? Right? Who can I care about today? And so why do we love the church? Because we can't do it on our own. Right? We're needy and we're needed. And as I was thinking about this, um, <coughs> this last point specifically, uh, I was thinking to myself, uh, kind of that question, right? Are being a needed part of the church? And I was thinking about you guys, Beacon, and the college students. Now I was just wondering, is Beacon really a needed part of the church? Uh, maybe you've thought of this question before. Is Beacon, are the college students really a, a needed part of the church? Um, and seriously, not, like nothing against you as college students. Okay. But there are just certain practical logistical limitations that makes it a little bit uh, more difficult for you guys uh, to be part of Lighthouse, right? Like proximity, um, availability. I know transportation is a big one. Or even resources like money and income. Um, The college students are probably one of the groups in the church that everyone else knows least. And honestly is, the least involved. <laughs> um, and so I was, I, was, like, I was thinking about it, I was like, dude, are the college students just like leeches on Lighthouse's resources? <laughs> like they just take everything, they, like, they need rides, they need scholarships, they need snacks, all of this stuff, and they don't give much back. <laughs> and even if all of that might be true, <laughs> which it might be true, um, that's fine. Right? And I think it's at least someone expected. Right? And, and like that's okay, and hopefully, It's a starting point from where we can grow, you guys can grow in the life of Lighthouse. But I want just to encourage you guys as well that you do contribute a lot to Lighthouse. That you do bring certain gifts, and you bring life, and you bring energy. And when you guys are gone for the summer, uh, the church feels it, right? Like this section here is empty, right? It's like a lot more easier to get around (laughs) the fellowship hall on Sunday morning. And here's how I want you guys to think about it. I think how the elders and how the pastors um, approach ministering to a group like you guys is that it's not a matter of just pouring into you so that you can pay Lighthouse back right now. Okay, that's not what it's about. It's not just about seeking an immediate return on investment. Um, I think what the staff's heart for you and the elders and the pastor's heart for you is that you guys would grow into faithful disciples and healthy church members for life. right? For life. Whether that's uh, here after college or somewhere else after college. It's not just about Lighthouse, it's about God's kingdom. I really think that's uh, our heart for you guys. And, uh, I mean, it's similar to the Lighthouse internship. I don't know if you guys are familiar. We have uh, kind of a summer internship program that we do. We usually bring on a handful of interns each summer. Um, And sometimes those interns, like, they're just curious in ministry. They don't always go into ministry. They don't always go to seminary. Some of them just go back to work. Actually, a couple of interns uh, or a couple of guys on staff uh, interned here a couple summers ago. And whether or not the interns end up going to full-time ministry or stick around or go to another church the elders, will say, the elders will say that it was totally worth it right, to pour into these guys, to pay them like, full, as full-time employees for a summer. Why? Because it's for God's kingdom. Right? That's, what we're, that's the, the purpose that we're serving. And so that's how the leadership here approaches it. Right? It's not just about us. It's not just about maximizing, uh, like getting the most out of you, out of you while you're here. But how should you guys think about it, right? That's how the leadership thinks about it. How should you as college students think about your possibly short time here? Yes, your time here at Lighthouse might be preparing you to be a better church member elsewhere in the future. But let me just say this. For right now, you're here. For right now, you're here. And God has placed you here in this church for this season of your life. And even though it may be only for a few years, that's, it's not a long time, right? It's, it's kind of short. But at the same time, a few years isn't an insignificant amount of time either. Right? If you think about like four years of just attending a church, of just showing up on Sundays without really doing much else, without really getting to know anyone, without really like serving in any way, and you just do that for four years, that's a lot of potentially wasted time. And so, make the most of your time here. And if you know that you might only be here for your time in college, don't approach it like, well, oh, I'm not going to be here that long, so I might as well not get super involved. Rather, you should say, how can I get plugged in right now? Right? How can I do that as soon as possible? If you're still checking out churches, can I encourage you to commit somewhere sooner rather than later so that you can start to grow, so that you can start to serve and invest and love that church family, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. All right, let's bring this to a close. If the church really is the bride of Christ, then I think we, we really need to con- honestly consider whether our relationship with the church reflects that reality. Are you thinking about the ideas that Marriage communicates, right? The ideas of commitment and sacrificial love. Can you say that that's true about how you feel um, about the brothers and sisters in the church family here? And if the church really is God's plan for accomplishing his mission and his purposes in the world, I think we need to have a bigger vision for what happens on Sunday mornings, and even on Friday nights. That We're not just getting together to sing a few songs and listen to someone speak, but this is about the glory of God, and when we get together, we get to hear God speak. And we get to be with God's people. And we get to celebrate Christ's life, death, and resurrection together. And we get to have a small foretaste of heaven, right? Of eternity. Um, Kevin DeYoung, he he wrote a book, or he co-authored a book called Why We Love the Church, which is where I stole the title from. Um, he's writing during a time where I said there were people were kind of pushing back against the in, uh, institution of the church. Um, And let me just close by reading this quote. He says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, If we truly love the church, we will bear with her in her failings, endure her struggles, believe her to be the beloved bride of Christ, and hope for her final glorification. I still believe the church is the hope of the world, not because she gets it right, but because she is a body with Christ for her head. So find a good local church, get involved, become a member, stay there for the long haul. Go to church this Sunday and worship there in spirit and truth. Be patient with your leaders. Rejoice when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. Bear with those who hurt you. Give people the benefit of the doubt. While you're there, sing like you mean it. Say hi to the teenager no one notices. Invite a friend to the church. Take the new couple out for coffee. Give to the Christmas offering. Be thankful if someone vacuumed the carpet. Enjoy the Sundays that really click for you. Pray extra hard on the Sundays that don't. And do not despise the day of small things. And so why do we love the church? Because Christ loved the church. And I pray that that, that, that would really be our heart for one another. Right? We would be willing to give of ourselves to one another because Christ did uh, of, of himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, and that in him we know uh, just a faithful, sacrificial love, a committed love uh, that Christ has for his bride, for the church. And so, Father, I pray that, um, yeah, we would really do honest inventory of our lives, that we would make, uh, we wouldn't uh, overlook the church in our life, the place of the church in our lives, that we would really learn to love. Um, this body of believers here. Uh, Even if it's in small ways, Lord, give us uh, just eyes to see, um, thoughtfulness, and how to apply this message. Uh, Even in small groups, as we get together and just talk about what's going going on in our lives and how to apply this message. God, I pray that it would be a love for the church um, that really propels and fuels uh, the things that we do here tonight. So God, we thank you for your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.